0: And welcome to Science Talks. This is the podcast where we chat to scientists in our Queen Edith School community in Cambridge. We aim to discuss both curriculum style content, as well as themes the children have raised themselves. Their questions are always the best. I'm Veronica Clifford, the science lead at Queen Edith. And today, for our very first podcast in the series, we are very lucky to have an incredible guest called Deep Store, a paediatric orthopaedic consultant and department head at Addenbrookes Hospital. Hello and welcome, Kaldi. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's a, it's a great honour and a privilege to be here. Thank you.
0: Let me start by just saying this interview has generated many interesting questions from the children. But first, they'd just like to know about you and your role at Edinburgh.
1: So I'm a trauma and orthopaedic surgeon. And that means I the trauma part of my job means I look after broken bones, people who have been involved in accidents. And the orthopaedics part of my job means I look after children who might need operations being done on their bones and joints.
0: That feels like an awful lot of responsibility. Actually, the year fives were thinking, is that hard being a female in that domain, being a department head and a consultant surgeon? Is that tricky?
1: It can be tricky. Um, I'm quite old now and people have got to know me and I think respect what I do and understand that I work hard and I like to look after my patients. But when I was training, it was very hard sometimes. I used to be teased a bit by some of my male colleagues and some of the patients used to be a bit puzzled when I used to talk to them. They'd say, when is the doctor coming? Um, When I was talking to patients, I was younger then. And maybe I didn't look as like, uh, like a proper doctor, or maybe people had a different understanding of what surgeons were. I get that less and less these days. Maybe people in Cambridge are just more open and nice.
0: Well, I'm glad things are easier now. The children also ask, what's the hardest thing about your job? And also, what's the most enjoyable thing about your job?
1: Well, what I would like to say is that my job is mainly all enjoyable. When you find a job that you love, it doesn't feel like work. And often it doesn't feel like work. The only sad thing sometimes is that I spend too long in the hospital when I would be quite quite nice coming home to do fun things with my children and my husband. I don't have much time for hobbies or my children, so that's the worst part of the job. But the actual work itself is lovely. It's exciting and it's interesting. I've been doing it for over 23 years and it just gets more interesting every day.
0: Well, if you've been doing it for that long, what do you think is the most common injury that, say, school children would have? Is it falling off a trampoline or off their bicycles?
1: So it's actually monkey bars and climbing equipment and in the summer it can be trampolines but not nowadays we get less trampoline injuries because most trampolines have a net around them and most trampolines have um, sponging or covering over the springs. Most trampoline injuries occur when there are more than one child on the trampoline and, um, and children can bump into each other when they bounce. The most commonest injury that children get are broken wrists and broken arms
0: Wow, unfortunately, I've been one of those people as well, <laughs> I know how that feels, but I'm really sorry the year fives want to know what's the most gory and gruesome injury that you've oh. ever had.
1: So the most gruesome and gory injury I've had was of a nine year old girl who loved horse riding and she had a horse of her own. And she was riding her horse when her horse suddenly got startled by a car and it stopped suddenly and she fell off the horse and she fell into a pile of horse manure. Her arm broke. And the end of her humerus, which is just above the elbow, poked out of the skin. So the end of her bone was covered in horse manure. And when we went to the operating theatre, the whole operating theatre smelt of horse poo. And I had to clean the end of the bone and open up her skin to clean the horse poo off her bone. And when I got home, I could still smell horse poo in my nose for two days afterwards that poor little girl had to be on antibiotics for six weeks as she got over the infection and her bone healed. And do you know what she did when she got out of plaster? She got back on that horse and won a horse a pony competition.
0: Goodness me. <laughs> she wasn't put <laughs> off by her injury then, was she? She wasn't
1: put off by her injury, but I, I've been put off horse riding. Not that I'd ever done it, but ever, 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 even when my children want to do horse riding, I always remember that little girl
0: for all the children out there listening who are interested in those gruesome things that should satisfy their their requirements i was also right. going to ask you a question on behalf of the year sixes um again it's this high octane adrenaline tile style question they want to know what's the riskiest operation you've had to do
1: so i think um there's quite a few risky operations i've had to do it's usually in trauma um people with broken bones because you you don't as a surgeon you don't choose where someone's going to break their bones wherever they've broken it you have to fix it and sometimes they break their bones right near a blood vessel sometimes a a sharp edge of bone injures a blood vessel And you have to work with a team who have to repair the blood vessel and you have to fix the bone. So those are the most dangerous things I've done. I can remember a man who had an abscess. An abscess is a collection of infection right next to his sciatic nerve. And the sciatic nerve is the nerve that supplies the whole leg. So I had to try to get the infection out without damaging the nerve. So those are the most riskiest operations I've done where you have to be super careful of nerves and blood vessels.
0: And those operations must take a very long time. No, not
1: not necessarily. Sometimes they don't take that long at all. Like the, the, the man with the infection, I think the operation took 10 minutes, but it's very scary and you have to be super careful while you're doing it. Whereas some operations are so complicated or they have so many little bits in them that they can take for hours.
0: And how do you feel while you're doing these operations? Some of the year five children were thinking, how are you actually feeling during such a serious procedure?
1: Well, you're concentrating. I once heard a story about an operation in Los Angeles during an earthquake and the ceiling collapsed and the building shook. The surgeon kept on operating, but a lot of the theatre staff ran out because they were scared the building was going to collapse. And at the end of the operation, the theatre staff we um, were talking about the earthquake and the surgeon hadn't even noticed because he was concentrating so hard on the operation.
0: Now the U3s are going to be learning about skeletons next and they're asking about what the real purpose of the skeleton is and why we couldn't have ours on the outside of our
1: bodies like some animals do. That is such a good question. Um, There are some animals, insects in particular, that have their skeletons on the outside. But the thing about insects is they're quite small and their functions are quite basic. Mammals, like humans, are a lot more complicated and mammals are bigger as a rule compared to insects. We also have muscles attached to our bone because our bones are on the inside, which gives our bodies more strength we're able to do more things. If you think about it, a human being can stand up and carry a 50 kilogram weight, which is half our body weight, which is a very strong thing for us to do. And we can do that for some time. Our skeletons also contain calcium and other minerals, which we use to control all the cells of our body. So our bones are a store for all these minerals so we need those inside us so we can access those minerals at short notice our bones do so many things our skeleton is so important and it is crucial for us that it's inside of ourselves
0: that's very revealing actually a terrific answer that feels very you you can grasp that and really understand that that's wonderful because it's i thought it was such a good question But thank you for that answer. So could we just double check? Um, There was a girl in year six who wants to know what bones are actually made of and, and
1: could they go soft? So bones are made of a complex combination of things. Calcium is the main mineral in bones, but we also have phosphates and we have other ions and we have connective tissue sort of proteins in bone as well. Calcium is what makes our bones hard, though. And if we have a condition, a medical condition that that takes up calcium, that reduces calcium, our bones go soft. So sometimes we have patients who need calcium for other things. They need calcium for other parts of their body and the body will release hormones that take calcium from bone and those patients will end up getting soft bones and those patients are more likely to have a fracture, a broken bone. As we get older, we can get a condition called osteoporosis where our body takes calcium away from our bones, that happens to elderly people. And that's why older people are more likely to break a bone than younger people. So
0: on the petit filou pots that say we can make your bones healthy and strong, is there some truth in that then?
1: There's a little bit of truth in that. You don't have to eat petit but we should be taking calcium in from somewhere. And um, milk, cheese, yoghurt is the easiest source of calcium but we also need other things we don't just need calcium we also need to have phosphates which you get in um, part of a healthy diet and you need sunshine we need vitamin d to make bones and the best source of vitamin d is sunshine in, in an ideal world we'd get at least 20 minutes a day of sunshine on our faces and our arms and shoulders and you can imagine that on the, in the winter months, that's quite hard to achieve for a lot of us.
0: Exactly. We're not getting much sunshine now.
1: No. And so it is important that we store our sunshine up as much as we can and that we try to get outside as much as we can.
0: Are there other things we
1: can do to protect
0: our bones I mean, or is there anything we can avoid that might harm our bones?
1: So muscles are an important part of our um, skeleton. Muscles aren't part of the skeleton, but they are very important. The stronger our muscles are, the stronger our bones are. And we should always try hard to keep our muscles good and strong. So is exercise, good exercise, linked to looking after our bones as well? Then? It is. It absolutely is. People who are frailer, skinnier and thinner are more likely to break their bones if they slip on the ice than somebody who's got lovely strong muscles that can brace and protect their bones. Plus, their bones will be stronger in the first place.
0: Fascinating. I didn't know that at all. Mm. This is this is gold dust, called deep. And is there any way that you can strengthen bones later in life?
1: So the best way is to just keep strong. That's the easiest way. But people do experiment. People are experimenting with using vibration machines to keep muscles strong. When astronauts go into space for a long time, they don't really use their muscles very much. And um, they don't have the same uh, pressure on their bones as we do on Earth without the gravity and their bones go weaker we know that and so when astronauts go into space they work really hard at strengthening their muscles and using treadmills and things as part of their daily work in the space station fantastic
0: this is an unusual question you might have an answer for it um in harry potter chamber of secrets film harry potter himself lost the bones in his arm and he had to have some potion or other to encourage them to grow back But it just occurred to me, can bones really regrow?
1: So bones can regrow. And we use that property of regrowth when we're trying to help people with broken bones, for example. You can use a technique where you lengthen bone by breaking it and by separating those bone fragments in a very careful way. And as the bone fragments separate, new bone grows in between. So, yes, we can regrow bone in certain circumstances. So we can't quite do it like Harry Potter can, but w- um, we can do it. We c- if, if we keep the blood vessels, the soft tissues and the muscles intact, we can grow bone inside the gap. But one day we hope that we can regrow bone because after all babies are growing bone when we break a bone we regrow bone if we could capture those little chemicals those little hormones that the body releases naturally when the baby is growing in the mummy's tummy or when a bone is re-healing then we could indeed regrow bone and there are lots of scientists trying to do that
0: yes I mean that is I think that's fascinating but there is, I think there is a fascination with um, orthopaedic surgeons, such as yourself, uh, fixing bones. And I think people want to understand like what tools you use and, and how do you manage it?
1: So a lot of the tools we use um, when we're fixing broken bones are very similar to the tools you'll find in a toolbox. Things like chisels, screwdrivers, saws and drills. It's about mechanics. It's about making a broken thing um, strong again. So, for example, if you break the leg of a chair or a table, you might put the ends together and fix it with a metal plate and screws. That's what a carpenter would do or just somebody who's doing DIY. Well, we do exactly the same. But we've got nature on our side because unlike a broken chair or a broken shelf, the bone is a natural growing substance. So all it needs is a bit of support for a while and the ends of the bone will actually grow together, something that a broken chair couldn't do. So you
0: get the process started, if you like, and then the
1: body can also take over. I think nature gets the process started. All we do is put um, stabilise the broken bone so that nature can just repair it in a straight line.
0: Continuing the nature idea, I know the year sixes are going to be learning about inheritance soon. And I think they're interested in finding out whether, I don't know, the lengths of bones or any aspects of bones really is hereditary.
1: All of it is. All of all of bone growth and bone function is hereditary. And there's a bit of influence by nature as well. So it's quite interesting to note that if you've come from a part of the world where perhaps your grandparents were poorer than you are. So my my I'm from India originally and my grandparents were poor farmers. My husband's family are from Hungary in Germany and his grandparents were um, children in the war. So both our grandparents didn't have much to eat when they were little children. And as a result, our grandparents, both mine and my husband's, were probably about five foot three, five foot five. That's a granddad's. And the, the grandmothers were even smaller. Whereas me and my husband are five foot three and six foot three. And I suspect my children will be about my heights somewhere between me and my husband, because our children had plenty to eat. And so did we. And so you can see that the environment, what we eat when we're children has an effect on how tall we get. And a lot of us will be able to see that. Just look at your photos of your grandparents when they were children compared to photos of your parents and yourselves. But hereditary is important. There are conditions that mean um, some people's heights are always small. But equally, tall parents tend to have tall children, but not always. So you can have a tall child from short parents. So it's not a strict inheritance. Then there are conditions that give you weak bones or super strong bones that are also inherited from parents.
0: Okay, so I've got a couple of special questions for you now, and I'll be asking these questions to all our guest scientists. Um, But first of all, what do you think bone doctors, if I can call them that, will be doing differently in, in about 50 years time?
1: So I don't know for sure, you know, and I think that people are always going to be breaking bones. So we'll always be putting broken bones straight. But I suspect we're going to be using biology a lot more and operations less. And I wonder whether we'll just have a tablet or an injection that we'll be giving one day to help people heal their broken bones quickly. And maybe all I have to do is to straighten the broken bone or the bent bone and give somebody a tablet and then there'll be no plaster cast, no operation. They'll just have a healed bone straight away. I think that's what's going to happen one day. And
0: do you think that's wonderful advancement?
1: Yes, Casts are so itchy, they make your muscles weak. So if you can imagine a broken bone without a plaster cast, just with an injection or a tablet, that would be fantastic.
0: And my other special question is, which scientist do you think you would most like to meet or to have met and why?
1: I would like to have met Rosalind Franklin, who was a lady who developed a technique called X-ray crystallography, which was quite unique In demonstrating that DNA was a special helix structure. And if she hadn't had that technique, other people would not have been able to have made that leap in working out what DNA is made of. And I would like to have met her because she didn't really get the credit that she deserved. I'd like to have known if it bothered her. I'd like her to know what an inspiration she is to a lot of people. And I'd want to know if science was just enough for her. Maybe it was just enough for her to know that she was doing a job well, that she was discovering things. And maybe the glory and the attention was something that she never wanted. And if that was, I'd like to learn from her.
0: Thank mm. you so much, Deep, for your scientific and medical insights today. I'm sure the children will have been thrilled to have their questions answered by you.
1: Thank you very much. It's been so lovely to talk to you all. And I really, really enjoy thinking about your questions. Stay curious. And thanks everyone for joining us. Perhaps you'll join us again for the next
0: podcast in the series.